Welcome to the Exxon TV show. My name is Rob McConnell, and the Exxon is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And on tonight's show, I have the grandfather of ufology himself, the man who inspires so many people within the UFO community, the man who gives hope to those who believe that one day, one day soon, the truth will be out there. This gentleman is so familiar to the UFO community that Agents Scully and Mulder have posters of the him in their bedrooms. Joining me now from Fredericton, New Brunswick, is the grandfather of ufology, the one and only Stanton T. Friedman. Stanton, great having you back with us today. Glad to be on again. So, Stanton, before we went on air, you, 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 gave, you, you recited a nursery rhyme. And I was wondering if you could recite that very rhyme for all our listeners and watchers. Yes, uh, Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, she saw a UFO. <laughs> Fascinating and fantastic, Stan. Stan, um, what's new in the world of ufology? Well, not a lot, I guess you could say. Sightings go on, denials go on, the debunkers keep at it. Uh, I have things coming up this year that I haven't done before and some that I have. Uh, last year I missed Roswell and I missed MUFON because I had a heart attack yeah. at the wrong time. And so my plans are to go to Roswell in early July and MUFON in California in September. Uh, everything's on my website. It lists the places and so forth. And I'll be not too far from you, as a matter of fact, uh, Toronto and uh, Hamilton, too, later on. So uh, I'm keeping busy. Uh, it, it's an interesting time in the sense that uh, the debunkers keep at it, but there seems to be growing acceptance of the notion that we're not alone, that aliens are visiting, mm -hmm. and so forth. And, you know, it's a battle I've been fighting for since I gave my first lecture in 1967. We have the nasty, noisy negativists, as I call it, making their ridiculous claims about there being no evidence that governments can't keep secrets, that interstellar travel is impossible. Uh, there's a lot of these claims. Uh, and I can rightfully say you can see many examples in the book that Kathleen Marden and I did, Science Was Wrong. Uh, Smart people have been saying stupid things for a lot of years, frankly, <laughs> uh, and some of them relevant to UFOs. Um, and I was just reviewing, I was writing a piece about uh, the Condon study. Dr. Edward U. Condon, who did a study, got $313,000 and another $100,000. So unlike us poor ufologists, uh, he had money to work with. And I was just looking uh, at some of his comments about interstellar travel. In the foreseeable future, it's impossible, is basically what he said. And he quoted a Nobel Prize winning physicist, Edward Purcell. What he didn't say is that the assumptions made by Purcell were ludicrous. Uh, accelerate halfway out to a star at 1G and then decelerate at 1G. What's wrong with that? It would be like saying that a 747 goes full tilt until it gets halfway to its destination and then slows down at, at the same rate at which it accelerates. The problem with that is you use an enormous amount of fuel to do that. You get to cruise velocity and you stay at low 
energy requirement cruise velocity. They don't keep accelerating. But, and, you know, the, the literature is loaded with false claims like that. But coming from a Nobel Prize winning physicist, now, there may be a, a kicker here. He was on President Eisenhower's Science Advisory Board. He had mm -hmm. done classified work during World War II and then at the, uh, during the Eisenhower administration. And he might very well have known a great deal about UFOs and had to write a simple-minded paper to say it's all nonsense. That, that doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist. There are people who have had high-level security clearances uh, that we didn't know about even. In his case, we know about it. But for example, uh, Dr. Don Menzel of Harvard, astronomer, total debunker, everybody thought. And then it turns out he had a top secret umbra clearance with the National Security Agency, ah. did classified work for a couple of dozen agencies. Nobody knew anything about this. As a matter of fact, he was a, a world-class cryptographer, taught cryptography at the beginning of World War II. They were trying to find women to work in code breaking and women because the men would go off to war and sure. stuff like that and also because they found out that women were better at it to tell you the truth but uh nobody knew that about menzel until i discovered uh, correspondence between him and jack kennedy and menzel's papers uh in which he said that he had a longer continuous association with the national security agency ah uh, the plot thickens and we'll continue the plot thickening and trying to get at the truth with our very special guest this hour, the one and only Stanton T. Friedman. His website is www.stantonfriedman.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, www.exxontv.com. We'll be back after this break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. This is Exxon TV, www.exxontv.com. Stanton T. Friedman is my very special guest this uh, segment of the Exxon. He is truly the grandfather of ufology because I believe if Stanton Friedman hadn't written his books on Roswell and co-authored so many other books with so many other great people, you know what? Ufology wouldn't be where it is today. Stanton, great seeing you again. And... Um, what is the hardest part about being a member of the UFO research group these days? Being an independent researcher yourself, what's the hardest part for you? Well, it's dealing with the repeated silly arguments that you keep hearing no matter what. Mm -hmm. Don't bother me with the facts my mind's made up. So you have to go through the whole business again. There are three areas where people insist that uh, good basis for not believing that any UFOs are alien spacecraft. One is there is no evidence. And you look at their books, the SETI community in particular, you don't find any references to the large-scale scientific studies. Mm -hmm. You know, you're supposed to look at facts if you're going to express an opinion. Have facts in hand before putting mouth in gear is, should be a general rule, especially for scientists. Should be. Uh, yeah, the second area is that you can't get here from there, what we were just talking about. Uh, you know, you could say the obvious time it takes to go around the planet is three years. I mean, Magellan, that's what his ship managed to do. Mm -hmm. Well, the space station does it in under 100 minutes. 
you know, there's a big difference between three years and a hundred minutes. But of course, we're not using sales on that. Right. Uh, the, the third area. I mean, we'll get into the technology a little bit more because I did a study of fusion propulsion way back. I was working for Aerojet General Nucleonics in California in 1962. And my boss was the guy who had headed the fusion research at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Mm -hmm. Brilliant man with a high school diploma and 40 patents and an honorary PhD. And he was always doing things that the PhDs who worked for him said couldn't be done. Just had a feel for how the, the world worked. And I bring that up because it's amazing how astronomers, all of whom know that almost all the energy in the universe is produced by nuclear fusion. That's what goes on in the stars. That's not a guess. Wow. We look around, the stars are fusioning yep. away. We didn't find out there was such a thing as fusion until 1938, you understand. <laughs> but so we're kind of Johnny-come-latelys on the scene. But they never talk about fusion propulsion for deep space travel. Uh, We've operated fission propulsion, and you'd think we'd learn from the nuclear Navy. I think most people are aware that the Navy has submarines that can go around the world underwater. In World War II, they could stay under for one day. Right. Because and, they needed air for the diesel engines, you know. And I don't think but, anybody watching tonight, Stan, doesn't remember the polar explorations and the 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 Arctic exploration that was done by the uh, Nautilus. And that was that was one of the very first nuclear power submarines. Yeah, back in the fifties. Yeah. And I should add to that that we also have nuclear powered aircraft carriers. That's right. And the interesting thing about them, besides that they're huge and they carry seventy five little airplanes, is that they can operate for eighteen years without refueling. So if you want to go use your energy efficiently mm -hmm. and a, a carrier can steam if i can put it that way at full speed for years now, the, there was nobody in the navy who could do that before because you had to refuel and no not a lot of gas stations out there you know that's right so we have a two-stage system the big monster that carries the little modules and it's the same way with star travel you got two very different environments airplanes in the air aircraft carriers on the ship, uh, on the water. But for interstellar travel, you got vehicles going between the star systems, where there's nothing <laughs> for practical purposes. And then when you get near a planet or a solar system, you have your little Earth excursion modules, as I like to call them, who zip around in the atmosphere. And if you look at the physical trace cases, the abduction cases, you don't find people dealing with motherships. They see them in the sky. Big old monster. Six-tenths of a mile, I remember one of them out in the Yukon. That's pretty big craft. Sure is. on the ground. Ted Phillips' Earth uh, landing trace cases, they're all under 100 feet in diameter, in size, compared to half a mile or more for the motherships. So... That's not exotic technology, the notion of a two-stage system. It's what we do. And it's not exotic to say they're nuclear-powered. Uh, I worked in the nuclear industry for 14 years. And that leads you to the fact that secrets can be kept. 
I heard people telling silly nonsense about governments can't keep secrets. Uh, Dr. Tyson says the proof of that is how much we know about President Clinton's genitalia. <laughs> it's a very funny comment. What's it got to do with reality? Everything. I mean, you know, uh, it, it is really strange how people don't understand how big the classified budgets are. Two years ago, the Washington Post said that the military intelligence budget, right. not hardware or anything, just military intelligence, was $52.6 billion. Wow. Billion. And that's mainly NSA, uh, CIA, and NRO, National Reconnaissance Office. All right. That's a lot of money, Stanton. Stand by, my friend. You and I have to take a break here. Exxon Nation, Stanton T. Friedman is my very special guest, a good friend of the Exxon. His website is stantonfriedman.com. And uh, Stanton and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome back, everyone. Stanton T. Friedman is my very special guest this hour here in the Exxon, www.stantonfriedman.com. Stan, a lot of money goes into different projects. You and I were talking about $52 billion going into a project, uh, several projects before we went to our break. What would happen? Or let me rephrase the question. Do you think NASA needs to be spending all the money that they're spending on trying to get to Mars, manned missions to Mars, wouldn't it, in, wouldn't it seem more logical to put the money that they're putting into this, this mission into real UFO research with people like yourself who have been doing it for years upon years, who know the ins and outs of the community, who know what to look for? What's your, what's well, your take on that? It would make sense, except that it leaves out the security aspect. Governments obviously consider the reality of flying saucers mm -hmm. to be a very classified topic. Uh, and th that's why I keep bringing up the fact that people don't realize how, how big the classified budgets are, mm -hmm. how many billions of dollars have been spent on a wide variety of programs. And it's a, because of the national security aspects, I would expect it to be done not by NASA, which does do classified work. I worked on fission nuclear rockets. We tested them. Kind of neat. They worked, and they canceled the program. You <laughs> of know. course, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Can't have that. Uh, but I think uh, NASA is, is looking for an excuse to stay in business. And the public was very excited about the Apollo program. It was our program. I, I say that half of me is American, so, you know. Uh, and the country took pride in it, and it went on, even though three guys died on the pad. You yeah. know, uh, gutsy, let's do it. National pride and all that sort of stuff. NASA mm -hmm. hasn't really had a mission since then. That, all of us who worked on the space program back in the 60s are very disappointed that we haven't set up a base on the moon that we haven't gone to mars when we could would be able to do it if we wanted to so it's a question of purpose and redirecting the money but the nasa budget is small potatoes compared to the military budgets the nro the cia the nsa all these guys and people don't realize uh, we have had a number of programs that were multi-billion dollar costs that were kept secret for decades after they were finished. 
we broke the German codes, the English did, during World War II. You'd think they'd say, you know, it was extremely important to winning the war. But there was nothing in public discussed about that for 25 years after the war. Can governments keep secrets? Of course. Eisenhower set up Operation Solarium, three different teams to look at how should we contain the Soviets. This is in 1953, mind you. Mm -hmm. This went on. They set national policy for more than 20 years. No public awareness of Solarium until the 80s, for goodness sakes, 25 years again. So secrets can be kept. And I think NASA doesn't really have a good mission set up. They're looking for it. UFOs obviously would get you into areas like very high-speed flight in the atmosphere, highly maneuverable flight. But that's military right from the start. The first country, company, whatever, to duplicate flying saucer behavior is going to rule the roost because they can fly circles around anything we got flying. And again, we're talking about big bucks would be involved. But what about all the people who talk about reverse engineering that has been accomplished because of the Roswell crash? Well, I keep hearing people tell me that, but I can't find many examples. Uh, in my book, Flying Saucers and Science, there's a picture of me with my hand on the Apollo 12 command module. And it's a big, round, blunt body. It looks far more like a UFO yeah. than like a high-speed aircraft. Remember how we used to think... Of high-speed aircraft you want to go fast and speed of sound got to have a pointy nose sharp wings highly streamlined uh no as it turns out the apollo command module comes in at twenty-five thousand miles an hour and it's round and blunt and looks much more like a ufo so we may have learned that from studying it certain materials uh the samarium cobalt permanent magnets those are real i didn't didn't make that up and uh what I would have done if we had the pieces of wreckage from Roswell would be to send them off to the classified labs, not to some university, classified labs, and say, what is this stuff? And the guy would come back and say, you know, I don't know where you got this stuff, because he wouldn't have a need to know for that, but it's a combination of samarium and cobalt. Why would anybody put, not your problem, send it off to other people, whatever its special properties turns out the highest magnetic moment of any material that had ever been tested at that time. It was the basis for ghetto blasters, the magnets and the speakers. Oh, right. Uh, and I didn't find out until many years after I suggested that, that the original work on Samarium Cobalt was done at Wright Air Development Center, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Uh, but I know where that idea came from. <laughs> but that's different from being able to develop a full system. All right, stand, stand by, my friend. You and I have got to take our next break. ExoNation, the one and only Stanton T. Friedman is my special guest, www.stantonfriedman.com. And we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. And welcome back to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, my special guest this segment of the Exxon, all the way from Fredericton, New Brunswick, and parts unknown, the one and only Stanton T. Friedman. His website is www.stantonfriedman.com. You can buy his books, his DVDs, and learn a whole lot about not only Stanton, but the great work that he's done over the years in the field of ufology. Stanton, in your opinion, what is the what is the hardest 
challenge that modern-day ufologists are facing? The biggest challenge is getting young people into the field, frankly. Uh, I think we need more people. There are a lot of us old guys still hanging around. Mm -hmm. But we need a new generation which has grown up with the idea that space travel is feasible, that, you know, we're not alone, the Kepler satellite and all this kind of stuff. We need to make more of an effort. Also, another group that needs some pushing is the press. Uh, my paper last year at the MUFON conference, I didn't give it, but it's included in the proceedings, had to do with press coverage of the subject, giving a lot of examples uh, of bad coverage and the need to change. Uh, this year, my paper, incidentally, is how to make ufology more respectable. <laughs> that's a challenge, partly because many people are frightened to take a stand they think nobody else believes in flying saucers, so they won't, don't want to stick their neck out. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to change that. I know there are professors who think they'll lose tenure if they mention UFOs. Uh, but, look, 700 lectures I've given in 50 states, 10 provinces, and 18 other countries. I've had 11 hecklers, and two of them were drunk. And as you know, I come on very, very strong. So it's okay as long as you stick to the facts, as long as you have your data. If you haven't thought about the question before you get asked it, then you haven't done your homework. You should be ready to answer any questions. You rarely get new ones, believe me. <laughs> I can say that after answering 60,000 questions now, I think, over the years. Uh, so trying to be respectable means convincing the press to do a good job, convincing other scientists that it's okay to stand up and be counted, and taking them on head first, if you will, but facts in hand. You mentioned Seth Shostak before. Um, he and I have debated. I got 57% of the vote. He got 33% and 10% said, I don't know who won. The SETI community is getting by with mythology, frankly. Uh, they're assuming that there are beings out there who are using technology appropriate to us and for some crazy reason are sending us radio or laser signals. I can't figure out what that reason would be. Yeah. I don't make random phone calls out into the ether, so to speak, see if there's anybody there. They know we're here. Mm -hmm. Once you look at the evidence, it's obvious aliens are coming here. So they certainly don't need to send us signals uh, to let us know, hey, look, we're out here, guys. What for? Uh, I don't talk to the squirrels, uh, not very often anyway. <laughs> not too many of them around these days with all the snow here. But uh, their assumptions are, are silly. That's why I call it silly effort to investigate, S-E-T-I, rather than search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, but they, they need to wake up. They need to look at the evidence, both for the government cover-up mm -hmm. and the in interstellar travel, and the vast amount of evidence that they refuse to look at. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I read their books. They don't read mine. <laughs> Seth did admit once on the radio show that he had a copy of my book, Flying Saucers and Science, on his nightstand. He didn't say he'd read it now. That well, I, I, guess, I guess that was to impress all the ladies. Because they figured, because the ladies would figure, well, Stanton T. Friedman, this must be a cool guy. <laughs> Stan, well, be. Stan, before we say so long for uh, today, um, what is your message 
for our viewers and our listeners that you, Stanton T. Friedman, would like to make to the world? I want people to recognize, A, that we're not alone, B, that we're behaving like a primitive society whose major activity is tribal warfare, mm -hmm. spending a trillion dollars this year on things military when thousands of kids die every single day yeah. of preventable disease and starvation. In other words, anybody looking at us from afar would say, there are a bunch of idiots here. Why would they come here to keep us from going out there? We, we need to recognize that everybody is concerned about their own survival and giving mm -hmm. our history. We killed 50 million of our own people in World War II. That tells us a great deal about us, and it's not good. So I think we need to wake up and realize in the larger picture, there are others out there who can pass judgment on us, and we don't come out looking very good. Words of wisdom from Stanton T. Freeman. Stan, thanks so much for joining us today here in the X-Zone. Always great talking to you, my friend. Stay well. We need you, Stan. I'm going to try. That's my friend. X-Zone Nation, Stanton T. Friedman has been my guest this episode of the X-Zone. He joined us via Skype from Fredericton, New Brunswick. His website, www.stantonfriedman.com. Well, that's it for tonight. And, you know, we'll keep on investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here in the X-Zone. Online, you can find us at xzonetv.com, and you can listen to the Exxon Radio Show 724-365 at xzonetv.com. So until next we meet, my friends, always remember to keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Good night, everyone.